Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as he does with the love of his son, Jesus. If you want to support his mission here at St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This past year, I was uh, in, the, in our living room in the house there, and I'm looking up, and I saw some dark spots. No, Jennifer, don't worry. About, she, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to share them anymore. So I saw these dark spots, and I thought, must be shadow. If, try to figure out for me what it is, by the way. It's a little fun quiz game for homeowners. Now, that must be, must be a shadow, right? So you go look closer. Oh, no, it's, it's worse than that. It's not a shadow. Then I thought, some kind of stain? What in the world did uh, uh, Henry and Sam do while we were gone? That there, which, by the way, that does, when you have kids, you will find crazy situations like, how in the world did that get there, etc. So why, what possibly happened as I look closer at it, it wasn't like something on the ceiling. It was, in fact, uh, a, little, a little wet. The problem's even deeper. Well, then, of course, maybe I could have just uh, replaced the ceiling, right? Just kind of ripped it down, just like I ripped down this uh, background. Uh, and uh, would that have solved the problem? Put a whole new ceiling on, repaint it. It would look great if I did that. Would it last? No. A little deeper of a problem. When above the ceiling on the balcony outside in the front there, where I like to stand and sort of watch people go by. I don't do that, by the way. And the water was collecting because the gutter was full, and so the water's sort of sitting there, and there was a deeper problem, and that was it. If I would have just painted over that stain, it would have been nice for a little while. If I were to take down the whole ceiling, it would have worked for a little while, but there was always a, a deeper problem, a source to the problem. The stain was just a manifestation. That's kind of how life is. This world is stained. <laughs> if you don't believe it, if you don't believe in sin or evil, or human beings really aren't that smart and do dumb things, no matter how educated they are, then you are not wide open looking at our world today. It's stained everywhere. It's a house full of stains all over the walls, the ceilings, the floors, our lives. But is that the problem? Or is there something deeper? Jesus gets to that point today in chapter 7 of Mark. The whole chapter, I think, is fantastic. It really needs to be read. The whole thing does, but we're not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to go through it quickly. I encourage you to do exactly that with your new pew Bible in your pew, or go home, or on your phone, or whatever. So Jesus is talking to Pharisees and scribes. These guys are people who are experts in painting over stains and replacing ceilings. 
They knew the Bible backward and forward. They knew the Old Testament, the laws of Moses, don't do this, eat this food, sacrifice on this day. And there's tons. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see this, just a list that uh, the Jewish people had to do that God gave them for sure. But then, you see, it's not enough. Over time, that's what we do, bureaucrats as we are all in our hearts, they started adding more and more things, just like the United States Constitution, right? It's very pure, you have this, but as life goes on, you have to apply it to different situations, and so you add and add and add laws, etc. And that's what happened by the time Jesus comes on the scene. The Pharisees and the scribes had all sorts of things that you had to do to be righteous. Eat certain foods, don't eat that food. Wash your hands this many times, pray this many times, go to synagogue, all these things. And quite frankly, they're okay things. It was, you included giving to the poor and giving to the synagogue. I mean, it was okay, but it was all on the outside. And they would walk around, you see, as the experts, as the righteous ones, and everyone applauded them. And they were successful, and they were the leaders of the town. You literally would go to a Pharisee and say, should I mow my lawn at, on Sunday at like three in the morning. No, no, probably not three. That wouldn't be righteous, but five would be more righteous. That's the conversation that would frequently happen. What do I have to do to be righteous? What outward thing do I need to do or avoid? And by the time Jesus comes on the scene, it was just a load of things. And by the way, do you feel like that as a Christian? Maintaining your righteousness watching out for this sin or that sin, avoiding this, avoiding that. A little neurotic. OCD almost Christians can be sometimes if we think about God like that. So Jesus is talking to these righteous, so-called righteous uh, Pharisees and scribes. Scribes, by the way, are what they say. They rewrote the Bible over and over and over, which I would trust far more than copy-paste because you don't keep manuscripts anymore, you just re-edit and it's gone forever or somewhat, unless you always save your computer nerds, they can find anything. But we have every single manuscript of the Bible, like we have tons of manuscripts of the Bible. And so these scribes would rewrite it and they would also, while they're rewriting, become an expert in what they're writing. So they also had this authority. And by the way, we know for a fact that they perfectly rewrote what they had and copied it because we have all the manuscripts. You can literally see whether there's mistakes or not. Therefore, the Bible you have here, there's a side point, by the way, but important, because some of you watch those ridiculous anti-intellectual shows like Discovery Channel and History Channel. What we have here is, in the Hebrew and the Greek, what was written by the original authors. It's illogical not to trust that. So these Pharisees and the scribes were experts and they told the people all these things they had to do. And they saw Jesus' disciples, and they were eating them because you eat outside a lot. And he, they noticed they weren't doing all those things. And they literally said, hey, man, your people are not washing your hands before you eat. Like, literally, that's what they said. Not because they're spreading COVID, but because that was a ritual you had to do. You see at the wedding of Cana as well. And Jesus looks at them and says, you guys are so obsessed with all the outward things. In fact, all the things that you guys made up over the last couple hundred years that you absolutely neglect the actual word of God. And he goes on and says, you're so obsessed about when exactly you're going to eat and how many times you're going to pray. Meanwhile, the fourth commandment, you shall honor your mother, 
uh, honor your mother and father, right? You guys think that if you can get a settlement from the court that releases you from that duty, then you're righteous because the law said it's okay. Hypocrites. Obsessed with the outside and painting ceilings and not the core of the issue. We call them whitewashed tombs. Look great on the outside, dead inside. And then Jesus turns to the people as he's just low unloading on the Pharisees and the scribes. Man, don't ever go to Jesus in any way thinking you're righteous because he will tear it down and you'll leave feeling this big. In fact, you'll leave feeling this big and you'll be so mad you just might want to kill him. He looks at the people and he says, don't you know that it's not what's on the outside that makes you unclean or defiles you? That's the picture on your, on your bulletin, the poorly drawn picture on your bulletin, right? There's nothing outside a person that's by going in him can defile him. So you not eating the right food or unclean or all these sort of things, that's not the problem. That's an external thing. He enters the house, right? So he's with a bunch of people. Now he goes into this house, and he's just with his disciples. And they come to him, and they say, uh, they, they ask him about this, right? What's, what does this mean? And he says, don't you know either? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from the outside can't defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and it's expelled, if you know what he's talking about. Again, he's talking about these external ceremonial things. They're not good or bad, but that's not the problem with human beings, is external things or the external signs or, or uh, stains even. And he goes on and says this, and this is very important here. Listen up. This is Theology 101, biblical. It's not St. James. It's not Lutheran. Absolutely biblical, fundamental theology from the lips of Christ himself. Look what does he say here. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceits, living by passions, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. I hope you found yourself somewhere in there, by the way. And Jesus is not listing out like one through ten and which one's the worst. I'll bet you found yourself in there somewhere. All these evil things come from where? Here. From a clogged gutter. So you can fix that stain all you want. You can repaint it. It's going to keep on coming back. The sin that you see in the world It's not a matter of people simply making bad choices. It's deeper and more problematic than that. It comes from within, from the heart. That's a hard pill to swallow when you want to fix this world. It's hard (laughs) when you want to make it right and you want to make this country great again. 
and you want to stop all bad things, and you want to end racism, you know, and you, you want to kill poverty, and, 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 and you want to bring world peace, etc. You know what I'm saying? You want to just wipe those stains away and paint them. And by the way, that's fine to do. There's nothing wrong with that as a government, justice, and that, etc. That's good. You should do that. But it doesn't work ultimately, does it? Because the problem isn't the outside. All sins are simply the stains, the result of something deeper and more intertwined and more insidious. And what's important about this Jesus teaching is that you can no longer look at the world and say that person or that entity is a monster alien to humankind, just a freak of nature. No, no, no. Every evil in the world, the most heinous in public, its kernel, its beginning is in you. When you look at the evil of the world, you are looking at your heart according to Christ. That's how deep the problem is, that outside things will never quite fix it, though we try. All religions are an attempt to paint the stains away, and that's a good desire, right? When you're talking to someone, uh, especially I think of Islam especially, it's just adamant and that's why you, res you, you respect it in the sense of like you get where they're coming from. They want to wipe away bad. The, the, the Taliban is not in their brains, we're going to just do random evil. You know what they're doing? They are, they think they're doing good by removing sin. And sometimes those people not those like as in Taliban, but human beings that are so obsessed with cleaning up this world, they're the most dangerous people in the world. The 20th century is full of that, from Nazi to communism. Cleaning up this world, fixing it, making it right, usually means someone's going to die because you've got to remove the impurities. Or you can go to religious, the Puritans throwing Salem witches in the water. And they all did it chasing after righteousness and trying to fix up that house and make it perfect. But the stains keep on coming back. And maybe you live like that yourself. I know many a Christian who spends a life obsessed with the stains and constantly cleaning them up or feeling guilty about them. And some of them were put on them. It's not even their fault. And they feel guilty about those stains. And they try to cover it up or pretend it away. And maybe you do this for me. Some of you are literally coming to church to sit in this building because you think that by itself is cleaning that up and making you right with God. And some churches like to say, yeah, but you need to do more and clean it up, make that house perfect keep painting those stains. Treadmill of religion that never ends because you're not dealing with the real problem. You ever feel like that as a Christian? It's a tight rope. Don't make the wrong mistake. Jesus saw the Pharisees and scribes. That was their religion they had put upon the people. And he ends here saying it's the problem is much deeper than that. It's in your DNA. And if you don't believe that, have a kid. 
They don't know nothing, yet they are self-centered. And then you wait till they're like one or two. Their first word is always not yes, it is no. It's rebellion. It's what you do, and you can't help it. Now, if this was the message, if this is the only thing we read here from chapter 7, wow. All right, thanks, Pastor. Um, so, not only it's true, I, my deepest fear is that I am sinful, and now I really can't do anything about it. Mark ju juxtaposes two stories here, or Jesus doesn't. After he's talking to the Pharisees who are self-righteous on the outside, obsessed with making themselves righteous, and he dresses them down, now he goes outside of the Jewish world that knew all the ceremonial laws and how you're supposed to be clean, and he goes to this place uh, in uh, Phoenicia, which is the traditional enemy of the Jews. So from there he arose in chapter 7, verse 24, and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and didn't want anybody to come, blah, blah, because they're always following him, but they came. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and now came and fell down at his feet. At his feet. The Pharisees would never do such a thing because they're righteous. They don't need any help. And this woman who doesn't know nothing, that's the whole point. She's not, she doesn't know the law, she is unclean. All these things, all these boxes checked off against her as a person to be righteous according to the Pharisee. She sees Jesus, she falls down at his feet. Doesn't give him a list of paint jobs and good works and reasons why he should love her. But it goes on. He fall, she falls down at his feet, and uh, she wants help, and, uh, and she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. You know, when, when you are confronted with death, your righteousness and your confidence yourself kind of disappear quickly, don't they? God uses this pandemic to bring us to our knees. He thought you were confident, had it together, everything was going to be fine, and you could handle or control any situation. I hope that thought is out, let alone when it comes to sin. She's on her knees for this, with this Jewish man because he's her only help. And Jesus actually says, I didn't come here. I came here to take care of the children of Israel, not the dogs. That's insane, by the way. Don't say this at home. And instead of saying, how dare you dress me down? How dare you call me a name? I've got some self-esteem. I've got some righteousness. I've got some way that I can actually uh, go, that, that, that uh, you can't call me that. Instead of doing that like the Pharisees for sure would, she says, yep, but at least the dogs get the scraps from the table. It's a game Jesus is playing, by the way, to show you something. She looks at this, he looks at this woman and he's blown away by the difference of attitude between her and the Pharisees. She claims no righteousness. She doesn't pretend that your house is all clean and Jesus deserves to be there. She even allows him to call her a dog and she's like, ah, you bet, I'm a dog. A dog, that's what death does. It makes you an animal. 
in the sense of sin and righteousness, in the sense of death. She's like, you can do whatever you want. I got nothing. And Jesus is blown away and heals her daughter that moment and actually says, nobody's got faith like this woman. See the difference when it comes to Jesus? He is not looking for your house to be clean. He is not requiring you to paint all the stains away. You know what I mean? Like if he was coming to your house, you'd clean it all up, wouldn't you? Same thing for your life. He's not looking for that because you can't do it because it's far deeper. In fact, it's impossible for you to do it. This woman's answer, I'm a mess. In my very birth, it's a funnel of stain that's coming out of me. I need help. That's the attitude. And you're safe to be like that with Christ. You're safe to admit you are helpless. It's safe to say, my house is a mess. I've done this. I've done that. I'm a sinner. You don't have to have any self-esteem to hang out with Jesus. Because he didn't come to help you. He came to absolutely save you. Because if you think that was awesome, healing that woman's child, the same Jesus, righteous and perfect, went to the cross. You don't need to take away your own sins. You don't need to clean up your own house. Christ did it for us, for free. That's what the cross is. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and he told his disciples to go and tell others they're forgiven. It's done. It's finished. That source has been removed that causes all the stains in the world. You're forgiven. That's the answer to fixing up your life and trying to be righteous. It's not you trying to be righteous. It's Jesus saying you are forgiven. You are clean by his word. It's gone. When he looks at you, he doesn't see who you are or feel like. He sees a child of God clothed in his righteous robes because he took ours on the cross. And the attitude before God, you don't have to have one. You can literally just be honest. It's so freeing to be honest about your sins. And it's so freeing to hear Jesus not throw you out, but instead say, you are forgiven. 